Hello everyone and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. And today our guest is Captain Bryce Buholm. Bryce, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Good, good. Um, so the format's going to, it's been the same in the show since we've started, so why don't we just start there. Where were you born and, and how did you, how were you raised into the industry? Well, I was born in Ballard, um, fourth generation crab fisherman. The family goes back about nine generations total back to Norway. Uh, started salmon packing when I was six years old and cod fishing when I was 16 and crab fishing when I was 17 and just uh just got raised right into it right born and raised did my first trip on a boat when I was five weeks old okay my dad said I cried and cried and cried until the engines fired up and the boat started rolling around and he knew I was cursed at that point yeah <laughs> they actually had me in the drawer they actually put me in the drawer in the stateroom to sleep now, were your parents to, both on the boat at that time or yeah so your dad owned the boat and operated it? Yep, yeah, no, he owned a boat called the American Viking that his grand, him and his grandfather built. I know that name. The American Lady, it's right over there. You saw the American Lady now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was... She had, did she have another name in between you and then? It was only the American Viking, and then when the Shelfords bought it, they changed it to the American Lady. American Lady, okay. Shelford family, Mike and those guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that boat was in our family from uh, 1972 to 2002. Long time, long time. So, um, how did you, so you obviously started very, very young. Your dad, did he know right away? I mean. Oh, he fought in, like tooth and nail to not, for me not to be a fisherman. He made my life so miserable. He didn't want me being one. He's still running around in the water. No, his boat's the shellfish right there. <laughs> he just got in a couple days ago. It's a good looking boat. Yep. Yeah. Well, this is uh, 99 years my family's been in the industry mm -hmm. in America. Find a lot of uh, pride in that? Yeah. There's not many people that, not many families like that. There's not. There's not. Uh, you know, my a, lot, a lot of two and three generations running around, you know. You no, know, I'm the fourth. And uh, it's kind of fun when I bring my kids down to Ballard Oil and uh, Pacific Fishermen. They're the fifth generations to run around that those yards and docks. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. It's, it's, it's good to have those roots. It is. Are and your kids going to do it? I got, two, I got two daughters, and I sure as hell hope not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do they, uh, do they feel the calling, though? Oh, my daughter. I took my daughter to Alaska last last month for the first time on a business trip with me, and well, she never wants, never don't want, doesn't want to come home. Gotcha. <laughs> she, you know, anytime we ride the boats, we always take, you know, whenever the boats are down here, we always take them for rides. And, so you said your your first experience, you were, I mean, no, we're talking about getting in a professional career of fishing. You were 16 going cod fishing. Yeah. What, what boat was that, or what? Uh, how was your experience at it? Well, my dad fired me because I quit high school. So I lied about my age and went on the Baron off. Mm -hmm. Didn't really like, went from being on a boat with four guys to a boat with 30 guys. and Didn't really like that too much. And uh, got back home and my dad and the guy that was running his boat, they were having a little tiff at the moment. My dad was about to fly home and he was about to take over and I uh, called him up and said I wanted to go cod fishing with him and he goes, well your dad fired you. I said, well you're going to let my dad hire your crew? He asked me if I could, he goes, you can figure a way to get up there. He goes, you can have a job. And so this is, you know, pre 9-11, quite a ways. Yeah. So I made a plane reservation under my dad's name with my birth date. We have the same middle name. And I went out to the airport and they're like, well, this isn't you. I said, well, shit, look, it's, it's got my birth date. We still have the same middle names. I said, the travel agents keep screwing it up. And I went, oh, here's your ticket. Bye. And I <laughs> there you go. Got on, flew up there. And what year was this? This was 1997. Okay. And I got on the boat, and my dad was like, what the hell are you doing here? 
I said, I'm going cod fishing. And he goes, no, you're not. And I said, well, you paid for my ticket already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> and he took the whole crew aside. <clears throat> and he goes, this is not my kid. This is another dumb shit greenhorn. You beat him, you break him. Nothing you guys will ever do will get, this kid, get you fired on my boat. So it was kind of game on at that point. How did that go? It was pretty miserable for the first couple of weeks until I started punching back. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, uh, Came back a couple months later, and well, I never got off the boat until we sold the boat in 2002, and you know it all kind of worked out. It's kind of miserable, you know. He didn't want—I didn't—I wasn't going to be a typical owner's kid. That was one thing he was not going to let anybody. He was not letting me have anything the easy way. No entitlement. No, I—I I was the one. I, he made me work twice as hard as everybody else. Everybody else got to go to bed. I had to stay up, and pretty much made my—he didn't—he was trying to break me. You know, that's what he told the crew. He goes, "Beat him or break." Turn them into a man or break them. I don't care what you do, but one of the two is going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and I look back and I'm <laughs> kind of thankful. I'm really thankful. I think it uh, made a big difference because I didn't get anything easy. You know, I I worked for everything I did. And there's some kids that can get by with that threat of a spanking, and other ones that really need that spanking. Oh yeah, no, and it was you know I mean the crew was just like oh hell yeah we got a greenhorn that we can do whatever we want to and not get fired. And he's the captain's kid. And he's the owner's kid. Screw it. So you know it was just kind of one of those one of those what deals. What was your first job on there then? Oh the ba- greenhorn, the bait yeah, boy, bait boy. Yeah, just doing running cod. Yeah, just fishing codfish, and then I. Were you guys pot fishing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were pot fishing cod. We'd put a small factory on the boat, a little two man factory. And, no, we'd fish codfish between just about every season if we weren't codfishing. If we weren't crab fishing, tender, we were codfishing. We've never had anybody uh, talk about the factory side of a, of a cod boat. You're saying a two-man factory. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, we just we had two plate freezers. We had a botter heading machine and a couple bleed tanks, and we just it was just a real small operation. We could do about 15,000 pounds a day. Head and gut and put them in the freezer? Yeah. yeah. It was just kind of a little, you know, we were kind of a little ahead of our time. That was back in the in the 90, 97, you said, right? Yeah. So the, you notice the difference between the codfish today and then? There, there were a lot bigger ones out there than what you think, or? No. You, you no, I those? think more of the fact, you know, it's all about cycles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, when we built that factory, we were at a downward cycle. And when we complete, we built the factory in 96, and by the time the boat got up there for its first cod trip in 97, it's been about a million bucks on the boat. And the price had gone from a buck fifty a pound to forty cents a pound. Yeah, for finished. Yeah. And you know, we only go fishing for forty some cents a pound round now. We wouldn't even pay for the fuel. Oh no, we went backwards. It was uh, it was miserable. Yeah, and a million bucks in '97. I can't even imagine what that would be today. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. We won't get into, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, we uh, it was it's you know we were in a real down cycle. We weren't catching a lot of codfish back then. I mean, it was. You know, everybody's saying it's all due to global warming and all the crap going on right now, and it's, you know, we had huge crab seasons those years, though. Same boat. Yeah. So you'd run, you run your cod, just like all the crabbers do now. Yeah, we, we just, pot, we, pot, pot, yeah, pot, we pot. just had a small little factory built under the shelter deck up forward that we just, instead of going in every three days, we just stayed out until we were full. Mm-hmm. And what would you carry? Oh, we only packed... 100,000 pounds of cod, not even 100,000 pounds. We just had one freezer hold, one of our fish holds converted into a freezer. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of a low-scale operation. Does that vessel still have that set up or no. changed it back over to a tank? They just took it off. and No, I mean, it, I don't know if they got the plumbing still in there for it or the coils, but 
you know, and we had it in there when my dad was fishing was fishing blackout halibut in the eighties with it. He put those in, so mm -hmm. it was kind of a you know, we just did a lot of different stuff with the boat. And, you know, my dad was always one of those guys that he always wanted to try to do something different. He, uh, you know, he at one point we had twelve jigging machines on the boat. Oh, we were the only boat over fifty eight feet that had had a jig permit, <laughs> and we we're one hundred twenty seven foot. Always trying to find that niche market. <clears throat> always trying to find something different to do because it was. Well, boat's got to be working, right? Yeah, well, it was just kind of when the crab the crab fisheries were getting we were getting slow, smaller, and you know we had just missed, we had, they had just closed king crab down the year before on us, and and so you were on her till two thousand two. Yep. And where'd you go? I went over to work for Dan Matson on the Shaman, and uh, we had uh, we, we were actually part of an Australian insurance company that went bankrupt, and f a bunch of us lost our boats out of the deal, and. Uh, I stayed with the new owner for one season and showed everybody the boat. Realized that going from the captain to the cook, I was 22. I'd been running the boat, and I went from the captain to the cook and didn't really have a good fit. Well, let's back up then. I want to know when did you when did you become captain? Uh, 20 years old. I took my boat took the boat across the Gulf for the Two, first time. 2000. Yep. 19, yep. Right before King Crab of 2000. Your dad just tossed you the keys or what? No. Um, the engineer was supposed to take the boat up and. He showed up a little inebriated. My dad said, it's your boat. I'm not letting him take the boat up. He stayed on the boat. <laughs> Sleep it off. <laughs> and he goes, you're the captain. And so I looked at the crew and said, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> but you had, obviously, you had driven the boat before. You'd oh, yeah, I mean, I drove it around. I mean, my dad, he, uh, you know, I started taking watches when I was 10 years old by myself. And, uh, you know, when I was six years old, when I first started tendering salmon, the engineer built me a wooden box so I could stand up and look at the chart table. You know, we didn't have we didn't have plotters and all that crap back then. We mm -hmm. had a we had an old LC ninety G Loran that converted the TDs into Latin long. And when I was six years old, my dad taught me how to navigate on a chart, and I never forgot it. And that's you know, I was you know, by the time I was nineteen, twenty years old, I was I don't know. By the time I was eighteen, I was you know, there wasn't a single place in Alaska I wouldn't drive through. I mean. Wrangling arrows, false pass, any of that stuff. I so when you through. when you got the keys, was that leaving Seattle then? No, it was at the ADOC. Okay. Oh, you're already out at Shoal Shoal. You're done fueling. The boat's ready to we go. We were leaving. And then how'd that experience go? I mean, there had to be. Oh, it was one of the biggest storms of my life. It was, you know, we had galley fires. We had all kinds of, you know, the coffee pot fell over onto the brand new, brand new oven and set it on fire in the middle of the night. And, you know. 25, 30 foot seas the whole way, 40 foot seas at some point. It was just, we got the living shit kicked out of us. How big of a boat was she? 127 foot. 127. You no, know, we just got our very first sat phone that year. Remember, I called my dad. My How dad, many times did you call him on the way? My dad called me one time and he told him what was going on and it was blowing north, it was blowing north 80. And he goes, huh, it's not much fun when your daddy's not there, is it? He goes, this thing's too expensive to bullshit on. Call me tomorrow and check in. Bye. It hung up on me. But that was kind of his way. Throw me into the fire. Mm -hmm. It was just it was just his way of doing it. And you know, be honest, I'm thankful every day the way he did it because it sounded like it started pretty young. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just you know, I mean, when I was a little kid tendering on a boat, you know, I didn't get any slack. It was, I mean, I broke my ankle when I was 11 years old, and he called me a sissy and told me to walk it off. A few months later, we realized I'd broken my ankle. But, <laughs> but you'd walked it off. I walked it off. No, I still trip and fall every once in a while because my ankle doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pretty cool experience at 20 
to be running a crew of what, four or five man crew? Yeah, we had six of us on there, heading across the golf, and then you know, got up on, got up there, and you know, I was back to the deckhand. Oh, were you? <laughs> yeah, since the other captain got up there. And then I, you know, I'd been, you know, I was the chief engineer at that point for most of the year. So the engineer that was inebriated didn't really recover in his duties? No, he, he well, I think that might have been his last season with us with the company. And, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was actually, because uh, I took over after that King Crab season full-time as the engineer. So then off there to the shaman for one season? No, no, I went over to the shaman. I, once I got off the boat, I was down at Alaska ship making a phone call. Matson walked up to me and goes, you going back on that boat? And I said, nope. And he goes, cool, you're my new engineer, my relief captain, if you want it. So I was pretty much out of work for about 12 minutes. Okay. And I worked for him from, that would have been November of 2002. I went to work for him then, and I quit working for him this, about a year ago, last week. <laughs> so. Now, now you're a port engineer? Is that how I understand it? Or what do you no, mean? I own a marine surveying business. Oh. I did know that too. I thought you were still port engineer <coughs> as well, or no? I uh, I managed two boats for uh, Lloyd Johannesson. Mm-hmm. A couple. Who, he was he was on here. I don't remember what episode he was, but yeah, well, that was, was a good second one. or third one. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he called me when he was on his way down here that day. Yeah, he he's, man, it, he's got good stories, you know. Oh, Lloyd's a character. Me and him have drives my wife crazy because I'll go over there. We go over there. To, you know, I go over there a couple times a week. You know, he's been a good friend of mine with his little health issue with his little health issues and stuff. I. Try to go over and spend a little time with him. and I need to get him back to record some more because we only did the, the one episode with him, you know, and, and and after we turned the mic off, there was about 50 more stories that came out that just were just totally gold, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's what drives my wife crazy is we'll go over there for a business meeting to his house. We talk business for about 15 minutes, and then we bullshit for about three hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and, you know, he's one of the old Norwegian families like mine, you know. His dad Pickin and my grandfather went way back. Pickin, yeah. There's a lot of history there. Oh yeah, and uh, so because you know, he's it's kind of funny because his generation and my generation we're kind of he's we're kind of between generations. He's about you know, 20 years older than me. Maybe not. I mean, you know, 28 years or 18, 17, 18 years older than me. But you know, he was between between my dad's generation. And I'm kind of between his. We're, me and him were kind of in the off generations of mm-hmm. the, of the whole fisheries. And, but we all started when we were kids and, you know, Just ran boats when we were kids and, you know, nobody in the right fucking mind would give us a boat these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you get your foothold in, though, right? Well, yeah, well, no, it's just, uh, you know, when, you know, who the hell would give a 20-year-old kid a boat to drive across the Gulf? I mean, I was fishing, you know, I started running for codfish when I was 22. And, uh, glad there's a lot of statute of limitations and a lot of... <laughs> A lot of times I've been guy because if a lot of people knew actually what went on back then, it would have been yeah. a whole... Well, we're going to get into that. Uh, <laughs> so so from starting back then, uh, during your career, it's obviously been pretty solid the entire time. Uh, you got, since what, 97? You got 21 years at sea. 21 years of, of traveling to Alaska and, and uh, pulling the protein out, right? Yeah, 21, uh, 20, uh, closer to 22 full-time and 32... 32 years of salmon. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you got to count those, right? I never missed one. Yep. So, in that time, there had to, had to have been some scary experiences. No, yeah, there's been a lot. You you got one that you're uh, willing to share with us? Well, where do I start? <laughs> the, uh, the, the first time. Let's go with the first time that you really, really were scared. 
I'm going to think back about that one. I was just trying to explain to somebody the other day about how many hundreds, if not thousands of times I've almost died. You know, uh, oh, man. You can think about it. I can cut out the dead oh, The first time I was probably really scared was probably running the boat across the Gulf. The Husky was a few miles away from us. They took a wave and blew all their life rafts off the boat. A couple other boats blew out some windows. And I didn't have anybody to go to. How old were you? I was 20. And I mean, there was plenty of other near-death experiences over the years, but you know, that was the one, that's the one that kind of really sticks out to me is sitting in a chair, not knowing what the hell to do because. <laughs> and you're driving. I was driving. And everybody around you is having bad, bad experiences. Yeah, it was just kind of a, you know, that was that. And I mean, probably the worst experience, my oh well, by far the worst experience I ever had was in King Crab of '03. It was the uh, we had 20 pots left to haul. We had the biggest season any of us have ever had for king crab. We had 20 pots to go. The season was closing in two hours. And on the first pot of that last string, Terry Rosendahl, we snapped off the trailer buoy, snapped off, and we swung around to get a hold of the single bagger. And Terry Rosendahl, he, we called him Grandpa. He was 44. <laughs> it's younger than I am now. He was 44. We kept calling him Grandpa, and right before that, string he looked up to me and Matt's and everybody he goes don't worry we're gonna smoke through these pots I'm gonna show these kids how it's really done well, we snapped off the single bag or we circled around he got a hold of the bag and he got it up to the rail about three quarters of the way up and he got ripped over the side and we circled back uh, I was the mate on the boat at the time mate and the chief engineer we circled back around one of the other guys, I had him through. I was, you know, I'm a big guy now, but I was in great shape back then. And I had one of the other guys put a, put a survival suit on and jump in to help get him out of the water. And that guy hit the water and panicked and swam underneath the boat. And the boat rolled and he went under, ended up underneath the boat. And me and Mattson both went running for the wheelhouse and he threw it in reverse and keel hauled the guy all the way back out. I threw a survival suit three quarters of the way on and dove off the bow and swam out to Terry and looked at me and he all I got out of him was you got me and his eyes rolled back in his head and he died in my arms and uh it was the third son his mother had lost to the ocean in five years and uh you know we spoke, they went and one of the other another boat long close by got the other guy out of the water in the survival suit and you know at that point we had three of us running the water which is you know you know, that's the thing, you know, that's the worst thing, you know, that's the worst thing everybody says you can do is, you know, turn one guy into a multi-casualty. You know, we didn't give a shit. We just wanted to get him back. And uh, they got along, so they got back, and at that point he started sinking on me and unzipped my suit completely and filled it full of water, and I swam underwater and got him by his hair the last time he went under. Got him back up and got a line around him and got him out of the water and he lying around me and got me out of the water and we did CPR on him for 45 minutes until the Coast Guard helicopter came out to get him. And a few hours later we got the call saying he was dead. And we knew he was gone. But yeah. We were just, we were just hoping. Yeah. We were just hoping. How long was he in the water? Oh. Because I mean, things happen fast when you're, you know. Probably, I guess all 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. But I mean he was gone after five. His brother Chris had died the same way five years before that on the uh, Kirsten Gale. They got him back on deck, and he actually had his heart attack on deck and died. 
but it was, you know, his big brother died the exact same way. And his other brother died down the oil field somehow. That is traumatic. That and, is traumatic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably the realest part about it was we, we brought the boat in, we tied up, we unloaded our crab and, you know, got on standby and spent a couple of days on standby trying to get out of town and flew, flew from Dutch Harbor straight down to Texas and made it to his funeral. And probably the most real experience of it was, was seeing all three of the tombstones. Yeah. With his mom, and then his mom coming up, and his mom and his brother, other, the only brother left, came up and gave me a hug and said, "Thanks for bringing my brother's body back." And changed everything I did that way. I changed everything I did on a boat after that. You know, it really, I don't want to say it took my edge away, but it made me think a lot more about everything I did after that point. And uh, that was two thousand three. Yeah. Sounds like October, the way, the way October 19th, about 4.30 in the afternoon of 2003. The way you describe it, it seems like it's really, really fresh in your mind still. I think about it every day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my doctor a couple months ago goes, do you have PSTD? <laughs> I just laughed at her. I said, I said you're not diagnosing me with it. <laughs> so. Uh, well, something like that could definitely leave that. Uh, you know, um, uh, Tortolis... Uh, oh, yeah. From Lundy, he came on, and I, I, again, I forget what episode he was, but he had a similar story, um, very traumatic, and uh, but it was during the summer. Yeah. Uh, so they were actually able to save the save the guy he went after. But boy, I tell you, um, that and, and they and they had twenty five minutes when when Tor went in the water, and uh, being in October, you, you got less than ten. I mean. Yeah, well, and and he he didn't have a little service suit on. Oh no, no life jacket. Well, yeah, no, he just went off. Yeah, you know, it was just, it was just happened in a blink of an eye. Yeah, you know, and I mean, it sucks. He uh, when he was pulling the bag over the rail, he kind of wrapped the throwing hook line around his hand, did a greenhorn move, and it was just a little cheap move. We all had done it over the years. It was just you know, we'd all been told that it was one of those things that you weren't supposed to do, but every once in a while you'd cheat a little bit, and, and they killed him. Uh, it's something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. No, no. You know, I've lost a lot of friends over the years. A lot of friends, way too many. But you know, it's what we do. I, I, I want to try to bring you back up a little bit because that was that was traumatic. Just me hearing it. So all these years at sea, there has to be some really good times too. Oh yeah, there was. You remember a fun time? I mean, like this is the, like the, like the kid that first stood up on the surfboard and. Well, you know the, I mean? well, the first three days before that all happened was one of the best seasons we'd ever had. It was just, the whole time was fun. It was shitty weather. I mean, you know, I had a lot of fun times. I mean, I wouldn't have fished my whole life if I didn't love it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, fun times for us is probably, people think we're nuts, but I mean, a lot of, you know, we just had, there's been so many good times, and that's why I've always done it. I mean, I, I've been kind of weird. I haven't, this was the first summer since I was six years old, I didn't go tendering. And, uh, tendering's a great experience. Oh, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, my dad was gone 10, 11 months a year when I was a kid. And that was the only time I got to see him really for the most part was going up and tendering, going up and tendering with him when I was a kid. That's, you know, how I got to be who I was because going up there and wanting to be a captain like him. When, when, when people find out that you're in the commercial industry 
at least for me, it's always, hey, can you get me a job? Right? They all want a job. They all want a job. Uh, or, or they say that's the stupidest thing ever. Right? It's one or the other. Either, either. Or I thought about doing it, but yeah, I, yeah. I decided not to do it. Right. I know I could do it. But. Well, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of my friends, at least, are like, uh, hey, can you get me a job? My, my immediate response is tendering. I'll, I'll get you on a tender boat. You know, I'll, I'll hook you up with one of my buddies and, you know, like Blakely. Benson. Yeah, no, that's what I try to, you know, and everybody's like, you know, oh, I can do it. It's 90% mental. That's what people don't understand. Is well, Yes, I mean, granted, it's one of the most grueling physical jobs. It's, a, it's just a nightmare. I mean, you know, you don't sleep, you don't eat. The reason I suggest putting them on a tender first is because it's close enough to land, they could dump them back off if they fail, right? Oh, and, yeah. And some people are just not built to be on a boat. They think they are. In their oh. head, they are 100%. Oh, yeah, I've been out skiing. I've been, you know. Uh, we, yeah, we slept on a boat one time. Oh, I go out fishing in Puget Sound. I don't get seasick. Yeah. So, at least if you put them on a tender, they're pretty close to land where if they if it's just going to be a miserable failure, you can get them back off right away. Yeah, I have a hard time giving people jobs anymore that I don't know. Even my, or that I do know. Because one, I, it's, it's kind of a slippery slope. It's kind of a fine line because you don't want to lose your, lose your friend over it. You don't want to sit there and say, oh, no, you're too big of a sissy to go out to sea even though they think they're the toughest bastard in the world even though they're not yeah but then you get some of the guys that you know don't look it you know they just look like some big fat overweight slob that, that you know you get guys like that out on deck some of those guys are the toughest bastards you could ever meet in your life you know they're the kind of like the uh i don't know what you call those cars the you know those jalopy no no the the sleepers. You know, you get some old piece of shit car with some big ass engine in it that smokes everybody. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and I've seen those guys. I, I saw the farm truck against the, uh, what it was, Aston yeah, Martin or something. Yeah, exactly. Like and I mean, you see, that's, you get, you know, you get some of these guys, you know, and don't get me wrong, I love all of our vet veterans. I really do. I mean, I have the utmost respect for anybody that's ever put a uniform on. But I've also seen these guys come out of there and I mean, think that they're the toughest, baddest people in the world and they come out on a crab deck with us and they're like, how do you guys do this? You know, granted, I'm broken and couldn't go on deck anymore and myself anymore because I'm a broken old man, but... <laughs> he keeps saying old man. He's a young man here, guys. I just feel old. <laughs> That's what happens when you beat the shit out of yourself. I kind of figure with fishermen, we age in dog years. <laughs> so instead of being 40, I kind of feel like I should be about 80. <laughs> so I started going up in 92, which would have been five years before you started going up. Totally different avenue. But yeah, I mean, Alaska uh, is a beautiful place to go. And a beautiful place to spend a lot of time at. Uh, I, I've noticed a big change in, in like the safety aspect, and just a in, in this amount of time. Have you noticed that as well? Oh yeah, yes, yes. It's been exponential how much we've improved our safety records. And your friend you lost in two thousand three. If you had the same safety stuff in place today, you think it would have happened the same way? Well, I don't know. Because after that fact, I never let anybody out on deck without a life jacket on. <laughs> So it was kind of a different deal, you know, when, you know, and it's still, it's, you know, that's, that's probably one of the biggest things I was just talking to somebody about the other day is how everybody thinks that they're a sissy if they put a life jacket on to go out on deck. And, uh, you know, the guy I worked for for almost 20 years, he, uh, he had four people in his life go, four people in his career go over, go overboard. Two of them were on the Billiken at the same time together. And out of the four people he had go overboard, three that were wearing life jackets all made it, and the one that wasn't didn't. And 
and it's the safety aspect I mean you know we can all try and try and try hell two years ago we went a full business year without a single fatality in the industry for the first time in history mm-hmm. and then last year what we lost 10 12 guys yeah it was a bad year and uh, bad. you know this year alone we've already lost four or five guys have already been killed this year and uh, you, you can do all the safety training in the world but nothing ever prepares you for when something bad happens I mean it do, it helps you I mean, it, it helps for everybody to know their positions and know what to do and where to be. But the hardest part about doing all the safety drills and stuff is, is when you're doing drills, one of those guys isn't going to be on the boat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I always try to, when I do my drills, I always would take one guy off and say, boom, you're dead. You're in the water. Everybody else has to do it. I think nowadays you don't, you don't really see anybody on a deck without a life vest on. I mean, oh, you'd just, be surprised. Do you really? Oh, you'd be surprised. You know, I mean, a lot of the, the company boats, like Trident and stuff, you know, it's all mandatory. Yeah. But you still, a lot of us, a lot of the individual, the independent boats, guys don't want to be called a sissy, and it's you know, it's a big, I, it's I a big ego thing. And you know, the thing is, is when you drop, when you get in that kind of temperature water, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You know, it, the the water's gonna do it. The you know, temperature's and every, and gonna everybody do comes it. up with every bullshit excuse. Oh, I can't work like this. I'm not mobile enough. It's more dangerous to have it on than have it off. Mustang makes some amazing ones. I mean, there, there's jackets it's, that keep you warm that uh, actually float. I know. And then oh, somebody goes, "Oh, they'd make me too hot." And I mean, I've heard every bullshit excuse there is, and it's like. So, are you one of those guys that if you're on my deck, you got one on, and that's it? Yeah, tender and tender, and we don't. But anything, you know, I mean, I haven't. It's been about four years since I hauled any gear. Where are you tendering it? You in Bristol Bay when you were tendering? I've tendered every, pretty much everywhere. Have you been to Chignik? Oh, yeah. That's my my favorite place in Alaska. Oh, yeah. I got a, our, My family started tendering out of Chignik in the early 60s. And I got a lot of really, really good friends in Chignik. Get a nice halibut there. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Chignik's a very special place in my family, with my family and all the families there. Yeah. Hell, I got chicken pox from one of the Carlson kids. Oh, God. They're still running around. Oh, yeah. No, I stalked them with all. Dale and Ernie. And... Ernie. It was Ernie's kid. Ernie's daughter. And, no, Ernie? I just talked to Ernie a few weeks ago. I keep in contact with all those families. Ernie, Ernie is one of those guys you look at and you think he could just destroy you. I mean, he's just got that look to him. Well, when but he he's was... a sweet He's a sweetheart. I mean, well, probably shouldn't say that too much, but he's a he's a tough bastard, but he, he's a sweetheart too. Well, my dad's always called him the bear. Yeah. So him and my dad, Ernie worked on deck for my great for my grandfather, with my dad and my uncles were all on deck with Ernie, back in the early seventies. And uh, they were in Chernosky. So I hope my dad will come down here and do one of these because he's got some really good stories. My dad started. Tender in '58 and yeah. in '66. Well, I, I thought we were gonna do a back-to-back today. We were—I was trying to get him down here, but he just had too much stuff to do, and he would like to do one later on with you. But you know, he was telling me when Ernie was—they were down in Chernosky, on the south side of Dutch. There, Ernie went and wrestled a seal and brought it back to the boat with him. They had a pet seal on the deck of the boat for a couple of weeks. They fed him. He was How just, cool! How cool! A few years back, Ernie saw a juvenile bear going into the bushes outside the airport in Chicknick. He went running in there. Wrestled, wrestled some 200-pound juvenile bear, put a line around his neck, and there's pictures of him walking around town with, <laughs> with a bear lying around Ernie? his neck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, that's... Yeah, I, I love, love I love that place. So, if you had to uh, give anybody advice 
that's looking to come into our industry today, what would it be? Don't do it. Really? <laughs> it's uh it's it's a dying industry. It's uh really sad. It's uh I mean, there's, you know, there's a probably a 95 to 99% failure rate, especially with the kids these days. It's, you know, you get these, you know, you get these kids on the boat. And I demand respect. I want this. Blah blah blah. And you gotta earn it. One, you can't beat them anymore. Two, you make fun of them, you get sued, and it's just, it's uh. Sad. You got to get those third and fourth generations out there. Yeah, or just a random farm boy. I mean, it's just everybody, you know, that, that stupid TV show has just glamorized it so much. And it's not. There's no glamour in it. I mean, we all did it because that's what we know. You know, I'm, you know, I'm 40 years old and I got a 10th grade education and I spent my whole life in the Bering Sea. That's all I know. You know, lucky for me, I had some really good mentors that got me into the surveying business and, and uh, gave me a different option to do besides just running a boat. I mean, I can always go back and run a boat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a hard life. Yeah. And not just physically, it's mentally a hard life. And, I mean, very few marriages make it through it. You know, I mean, last, this year was the first year I was ever home for my daughter's birthday since she was born. How long have you been married? Uh, uh, ten years. And, and she, she stuck with you. Oh yeah, she stuck with me. I think it was easier for when I was fishing than now when I'm back. Now that I'm here all the time, I travel a lot for my survey business, so I'm in and out of the house. And you know, before you know, I'd leave for a few months, and they'd get their routine routine down, and they'd do their thing. And now, now there you are, just now I am, now, Oh yeah, now <laughs> it's just Captain Chaos. <laughs> Well, it looks like we're going to be close to out of time. Is there anything you feel like you need to share? Mm -hmm. Any advice? Any extra special story maybe? A little, give us a little bonus story if you got one. Uh, anything you want to share? What kind of a bonus story do anything you want? Anything you want to share. Anything you want to share. I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. Okay. I'm sure I got a million more. You turn the tape off and I'll come up with some You'll sort be, of bullshit. Yep, 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 yep. We have to get one, of the, get a big round table down here, and get Lloyd and my dad. And we've talked about that. We've also talked about an after hours episode where we change everybody's voice so we get some of those real stories. Well, these, not that any of these are not real, but the stories about drinking and the and the things that happened. At least when I was fishing, the things that happened when you got off the boat. Well, I got plenty of those stories, but I'm not saying that on the recorder. Like, well, that's right. You just said you're going on with ten years of marriage, right? Yeah. You, you want to make it to eleven, but. Uh, yeah, uh, well, hey, I appreciate you coming down today and talking to us. And uh, hopefully we'll get your dad down. Yeah. Well, like and, I said, uh, if you want to get some sort of a round table, get a bunch, get a, get a serious bullshit session going, you know, get get all these old kooks that are starting to lose their minds. Yeah. They can't remember yesterday, but they can remember last, they can sure remember back then. Boy, they sure can, can't they? <laughs> well, it's kind of like walk uphill both ways, you know, but... But you did experience that. I mean, it's kind of a saying, walk uphill both ways, right? Your grandfather told you or something. But at the same time, your kids and my kids will never have the same experience as we did, the same challenges, because things gotten so much easier. Oh. Uh, so now we're the ones saying, well, I had to do this and that, and they don't understand it. Well, it's, I, look at, I look at, you know, some of these kids I've had on the boat over the years, and, you know, they're in their early 20s, and I'm like, 
was like, you know, I was running a boat when I was your age. And, and they're, they're on I'm the second year going, of being a I wouldn't even let them drive my car across the parking lot, let yeah. alone drive the boat. It's kind of... Everybody's become... All these kids, not all of them. I mean, there's still some good ones out there, but... They're, everybody's soft. Everybody wants a participation award. Everybody wants respect. And respect's earned. I earned every bit of respect I got from everybody I worked with. Because I had to work, I had to work my ass off. I didn't expect nothing. I think that comes a lot from the way you were raised, though. Your dad gave you no slack. He, no. he gave you no quarter. You're on the deck, and you're a deckhand, and he made it very clear that to everyone. Yeah. That when everybody you, else went to bed, I went upstairs and drove. Yeah. And then everybody else, you know, I was just, you know, he made my life miserable, and I'm glad he did. Trained you from an early age. If he didn't make my life miserable, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. I'd be, you know, I'd be like some of these other guys that just can't get their shit together but, yeah. but I wanted to be a captain you know and there's just there's not the want anymore that's the thing there's no there's nobody the biggest thing nobody cares you know it's that's why some of these guys in the industry are so freaking old anymore so all these deckhands are there in their 50s some somewhere in their 60s and it's because they give a shit and they want to do the job right and you know when I was on deck we'd all We'd all kill ourselves to make a buck. We'd kill ourselves for the cause. We didn't care. I mean, you know, my first king cramp season, I broke four ribs the first hour of the season. I went up to the wheelhouse, and the guy that was running the boat looks up at me, and he goes, pulled my shirt up, and I had a bunch of ribs poking out, and he goes, huh. You remember Harold Myrold? Yeah, I know. Well, Harold Harold used to run my dad's boat when I was a kid, and then he, uh, boat before that, he was running, the guy that was running my dad's boat was on deck for Harold, and he broke a bunch of ribs, and he went up to the wheelhouse and showed it to Harold like I did. He goes, yeah, you know what Harold told me? He goes, those hurt like a son of a bitch. Now get the fuck back out on deck and go to work. <laughs> I go, really? Well, what'd you do? He goes, I went back out on deck. <laughs> and I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He goes, get the fuck out of my wheelhouse and go back to work. <laughs> and nowadays, you know, somebody gets a boomer on their head and they're, they go down and they stay down. Harold was one of those old Norwegian, I mean, true. He was know, the last like, of the Vikings. Yeah, he, I don't know if he's the last. There's still some running around. Oh, there was nobody like but it. But there was no, well, no, of course not. Of course not. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of us squareheads, and there's still a lot of squareheads around. But Harold, there was a, there was a, he was a different kind of, he was a different breed. He was one of I had, the, a, I had a girl tell me that he's the only person that, that, that she ever felt like sexually assaulted her and she was okay with it. Because he'd walk up, he'd walk up and give her a big hug, maybe grab her butt, right? Oh, yeah. And this is in today's modern age. And uh, and this was not even two years before he was diagnosed with, with cancer. Oh, yeah. And so that, that was just who he was, right? And she's like, it's the first time I've ever felt like it was okay to be... Because uh, he just had that personality. In he that. did. And he was just... Oh! Or you'd hear him on the radio at night. I remember we were fishing codfish up in the Pribilofs, and he was fishing hair crab. And, you know, the guy that was running the boat for my dad, Dean, he was bullshitting him on the radio. And I was up on my watch, and... He didn't realize that Dean had gone to bed, and I hear this come across. You always heard Harold going, "Ha, ha!" And then the what they're doing here? I could be down in Arizona playing golf instead. I'm up here fishing hair crab. What the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, he just, you just, he just random. You'd hear come across the radio, "Ha, what are they doing out there? They can't haul gear. What are they doing?" <laughs> he just. We still miss him. You know, he... Oh, we all do. Yeah, we still miss him. You know, it's kind of the fun part. I took over running boats. He, 
called up and he was like, and he goes, you're running a boat already? What the hell? Who the hell would let you run a boat? <laughs> well, he did some crazy stuff, too. Oh, well, yeah. There was a lot of stuff on there. A lot of stuff I can't repeat about. Stuff I know about him, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be out of time. Uh, Bryce, I can't thank you enough for coming yeah. and joining us. Oh. And, um, so, you guys, it's been another installment of Galley Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this one. I, I certainly have. It'd been better if he did maybe had a beer while we were recording, but he didn't want to relax. Well, I should have done. Well, we should have done it at two o'clock, one o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I got to go pick my kids up from school. Yeah. Oh well, you know, an Sit. old time craft would have not. <laughs> Friday night or Saturday Saturday nights would have worked a little better. Have have you might have gotten a lot more stories out of there. Yeah, yeah. So you guys, uh, don't forget to uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, Galley Stories, and also uh, write into marketgalleystories.net for any questions, comments, or suggestions. Um, appreciate you all tuning in and. And before we go, as normal, we'll mention to please eat wild Alaska seafood. Um, friends don't let friends eat farm fish. That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. Um, so uh, keep it wild, and we'll see you next time. Got a big debate on Facebook the other day over tilapia. I just wanted to reach through the phone. Tilapia is nasty as shit. That's what I said. It's pure poison. They're like, ew, it's not blah, 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 blah. You're just because you're a fisherman. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> and we'll, we'll end with that. Talk to you guys later. Oh, you're still recording.